it has been quite a week. So we need to pray. Oh, Father. We need you to be here. We need you to move amongst us, Father. We need to hear your voice. We need you to touch our hearts. Father, for... Okay, Father. (laughs) Father, you know what's on my list. And I give it to you, Lord. Father, this has been a week. I'm tired. So, Father, strengthen me, Lord. Give me your power. Fill me from my toes to my head. Let your word go forth, Father. And let it speak to us all the days of our life. We give you praise. Let this time be pleasing to your sight and bring a smile to your face. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we are going to talk about two ways to run from God. And I need to confess confess that I am borrowing liberally from a friend of mine who preached this message a little while back, but that's okay because he borrowed liberally from somebody else who wrote a book called The Prodigal Prophet. It's by Tim Keller. And that's okay because he borrowed a lot of his stuff from the book of Jonah. So I think we're okay. So there is no plagiarism in the kingdom of God. God wants us to share his message freely. So we're going to, in Keller's book, it's a really great book. It talks about racism. It talks about how awful it is to see people as other than. It talks about, um, what does it talk about? It talks about how awful or how weird it is when non-believers look more like God than the people of God. And today we're going to talk about none of that. We are going to talk about two ways to run from God. We're going to take a look at the beginning of the book, the end of the book, and a few verses in the middle. So if you have your book, open it up to the book of Jonah. So in Jonah 1, verses 1 through 3, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish flee from the Lord. So it mentions a few different places in this passage. So let's take a look at a map. So here is 
a map. So where is this? What do we notice right away? We see the country that looks like a boot. What country is that? Italy. Excellent. So then, it's amazing because we don't actually have to know geography in America. Jonah is actually hanging out in Samaria. And God tells him to go to Nineveh, which is about 500 miles northeast of where he is. So, Jonah decides, I'm going to Joppa. The problem with that, Joppa's in the wrong way. So not only does he go to Joppa, his intent is to go all the way over to Tarshish, which is in Spain, 2,500 miles away from Nineveh. Jonah didn't just say no. He said, heck no. He could have stayed home and been disobedient sitting on his couch. But he didn't. He flipped all those cushions over. He gathered up all the loose change. He went down to Joppa and bought a ticket to get out of there. There are two ways to run from God. The first way is to do the opposite of what God says to do. G. Campbell Morgan puts it this way. If he was going to be disobedient, he was going to do the thing honestly. He paid his fare, but however determined we are to find our ship and pay our fare, we won't get away from God. So Jonah, when he fled, he was comfortable with fleeing from God. He had no issue with it. Because you remember when he's on the boat, the storm comes, the sailors are all freaking out because it's a big storm. Where's Jonah? He's sleeping in the boat. He's totally comfortable with fleeing from God. Why? He's comfortable because Nineveh, Nineveh, one more time, Nineveh is a big city in this Assyrian empire. Now, the Assyrians were a militarily brutal people. They were not nice people. When they would go into a city and take that city, they would conquer the general and take the general and they would cut off both of his legs and one of his arms. Why only one of his arms? Because they wanted to shake hands with him while he bled out and died before them. Okay? Nice way to honor the general. So, they, so, so Jonah had his list of reasons why he didn't want to go to Nineveh. Okay? They're a brutal people. They're a powerful, powerful people. They probably will not listen to what I'm going to say. And chances are, I'm not coming back in one piece. 
Jonah was comfortable with going in the opposite direction. And sometimes we do this too. Sometimes we run. We know what the word of God says. The Holy Spirit has spoken it to us in our spirit. We've heard it from a trusted friend. And sometimes we say no. And we have our list. We have our list that says, you don't know what that person has done to me. You don't know what that person did to me that caused me so much pain. You don't know the sum total of all my experiences in my life. I've got my list. So here's a question to consider about our lists. Did God know what was on Jonah's list when he told Jonah to go to Nineveh? If the answer is no, then maybe God is like, you know what? I didn't know that was on your list. So Nineveh's an awful idea. Why don't you stay home? I'm going to send Hosea when he comes around in 30 years. But if the answer is yes, then we have to think that God knows what's on our list when he asked us to do that thing. Mercy. Mercy does not often look like mercy when it comes. In the story of Jonah, that's the fish. Mercy doesn't always look like mercy when mercy comes. Because Jonah, when, when he gets swallowed by the fish, he's not in there thinking, wait a minute, I love, this is that Bible story where the guy gets swallowed by the fish and in three days he gets spit back out and everything's okay. I love that story. Jonah's not thinking that. He's sitting in there looking around with his cell phone flashlight saying, I'm in the middle of a fish. And he has no expectation that he's getting out the same way that he got into the fish. No expectation. What's his expectation? His expectation is that he's in there, he's going to get digested, and then he's going to get expelled from that fish. Mercy doesn't look like mercy when it comes. But in the fish, Jonah gets something that he didn't have outside the fish. He gets time and motivation with nothing to do. He gets time, and he's in there 
what can you do when you're sitting in a fish? You can think about stuff. You can pray about stuff. And Jonah figured out a few things. And we have some insight in what that is in chapter 2. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. So Jonah figures some stuff out. What I vowed, I'll make good. Salvation, that's from the Lord. So he figures some stuff out. So in verse 10, the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Could the fish had vomited Jonah into Nineveh? No, it's 500 miles. Okay? He's not going to spit Jonah 500 miles into Nineveh. He spit him onto dry land. So what did Jonah still have to do? He still had to decide to go to Nineveh. That's the mercy of God. The mercy of God will bring you right back around to the same position or to a similar position and say, how about now? Is now a good time? It's like the Ferris wheel of God where you have this choice where you actually have two choices, this obvious God choice and this obvious not God choice. And you pick the obvious not God choice because you have a list. So God puts you on the Ferris wheel, and the Ferris wheel goes all the way around. And he comes back around, and he says, how about now? And if you don't choose him, he'll make it go all the way around again, come back around. How about now? And if you choose God's choice, then he takes you off the Ferris wheel, and you can go do your thing. But mercy will always bring you back around to either the same position or a similar position. So this brings us to chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. And the, Nineveh, and the Ninevites believed God. So this time, God says, go to Nineveh. Jonah says, got it. I'm going to go. I preach the word right down to the very letter. The Ninevites believed. They had a fast. The king declared the fast. And in verse 10, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened.
So again, Jonah preached the word, exactly as God said, right down to the letter. The Ninevites believed God. There was a fast. Everyone gives themselves to God the best way they know how. God saw this, and he relents from his judgment. And there should be one more verse in the book. The one more verse, they had a feast, they had a celebration, hallelujah, the end. Is there one more verse? What else is there? Chapter 4. There's a whole nother chapter. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Can you feel Jonah's anger? Jonah didn't want the Ninevites to be saved. He wanted the Ninevites to be burned. He wanted them to die. After all, he has this list. They're an enemy of Israel. They're a brutal people. They've done some nasty stuff to people I probably know. He wanted them to burn. Some commentators have said that Jonah's response is a little bit unorthodox. Chuck Swindoll says it this way. This was perhaps the only revival where the evangelist needed more follow-up than the converts. (laughs) There's two ways to run from God. The first way is to do the opposite of what God says to do. The second way, to do exactly what God says with the wrong heart. You do exactly what God says to do, but inside is your anger, your resentment, your bitterness, unforgiveness, or pain. So does our heart attitude even matter? Of course it does. If it didn't, there wouldn't be a chapter 4. In fact, a right heart always manifests itself in an obedient spirit. But obedience doesn't always mean the heart is right on the inside. For example, you're at work. You're in the boss's office. You're kicking around some ideas. You share some ideas. You like your ideas. The boss shares his ideas. He likes his ideas. And, of course, the boss goes with his ideas. But you're a good worker, you're a good employee, you're submissive to your authorities, so you do his plan. You follow it right down to the very detail, exactly what he says. But inside, you're secretly cheering that it goes belly up. 
that it just falls to pieces. And you have daydreams about this. And you think, the boss comes back into my office. And he says, my idea was awful. Your idea was fantastic. And confetti falls from the ceiling. They come in with balloons. And of course, they've got a cake. And all this great stuff is going to happen to you. You're cheering against the one you're supposed to trust. Another example, I hope many of us know and that I'm not the only one that has experienced this. But there's a toy on the floor in your house. And you say to your child, can you pick up that toy and put it in the toy box? Now, they don't want to pick up that toy. So you encourage the child to pick up that toy. So that child goes thumping over there, grabs that toy, goes over to the toy box, throws it in the toy box. And you say, get over here and sit on this couch. We're going to talk about this. And you talk about it. And what does he inevitably say? But I did what you said. Don't we do that sometimes? But I did what you said, God. But that stuff, that stuff. Sometimes we do this. And we've got our list of reasons. We've got our list of reasons why we can double down on our anger and our bitterness and our pain or whatever. And your list is full of true things, just like Jonah's list. Every single one of them is true, and we can talk about that over coffee at Panera. But there's two things I want to tell you about having lists. First one is, God is not mad at you for having a list. He's not. How do we know this? If we think about the prodigal son, when the prodigal son came home, was the father just sitting there waiting for him to smack him upside the head and say, what's wrong with you and shame him? No, he accepted him with open arms. Or when the older brother left the dinner table, to go outside and pitch a fit. Did the father go back out and smack him and say, what's wrong with you? No, he basically said, you, you, you want to inherit something from me? Inherit my heart. God's not mad at you for having a list. The second thing about lists, God is firm in his expectation he knew everything on your list of reasons when he said, do that thing. So what am I supposed to do with the list? Do I just pretend that it doesn't exist? Do I shove it in a corner and ignore it? Please, please, please do not do that. There are way too many people in the church with plastic smiles. There are way too many people in the church that are walking around with way too much pain. 
please do not pretend your list is not a thing. So what do I do? Because you said that the things on my list aren't going to change what God's going to do. And that's true. It also doesn't mean that the things on your list aren't true. So what do you do? You bring your list to your Father who loves you. And you say, God, it's really hard for me to get there right now because of this thing and that thing and the other thing that are on my list. I need help. I need the Holy Spirit to remind me of the truths that you want me to know. I need a discipler to help me walk those truths out. I need friends to hold up my arms when I'm tired and strengthen my knees when I'm a little bit weak. I need help. You bring your list to your Father who loves you. And you ask for help. So in chapter 4, there's still mercy. Jonah finds himself on a spot on a hill overlooking Nineveh because he's still really hoping that God's going to burn it. So he sits up there on the hill with his box of popcorn and he's saying, all right, let's go, God. And it's hot up there because the Middle East, it's hot. So God causes this tree to grow and gives him shade. Jonah, awesome. I've got some shade. I'm ready for the show. The next day he goes out, though, God caused a worm to eat up the tree, and the tree's dead. And Jonah goes nuts. He is angry at his very core. But God deals with him ever so gently. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And Jonah says, it is, and I'm so angry, I'm want to die. Because this didn't make sense to Jonah. The Ninevites are awesome. He's got his list. But still, God deals with them gently. God ends the book of Jonah like this. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it nor make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right from their left, and many cattle, cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? See, Jonah, Jonah did exactly 
what he was supposed to do. But the attitude of his heart was awful. He didn't want the Ninevites to be saved. He wanted them to burn. But the Lord, what the Lord does is so incredibly awesome. The Lord brings stuff from underneath and he manifests them so he can deal with them with kindness and with gentleness. This is the mercy of God. Because God doesn't want us to just do his stuff. He wants us to do his stuff with the right heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. Yet, we have our lists. We have our reasons why we shouldn't do the thing that you're asking us to do. And Father, I had my list this week of why I shouldn't do this. Well, Father, you bring those things up. You raise those things up in us in mercy, with kindness and gentleness. So you can chip away at our lives and with anything that does not look like us. So that what's left is a reflection of you. So, Father, I pray that this word, this, this, it's more than a story. It's an event. It's you pouring your heart out for the people. So I ask that you work this, your word into our hearts so that it can change us forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen.